Hello there, social studies colleagues, and welcome to episode two of the Secondary Social Studies uh, podcast here in Shelby County. I am Keenan Sloan, your middle school social studies advisor. And I'm Brian Davis, your high school social studies advisor. And we are both very happy to be with you today. Thanks to everyone who tuned into our first podcast. Uh, it was a little tricky getting it out earlier this week, so we're making a commitment to get these podcasts out on Fridays so that people who are planning over the weekend or want to review materials have the chance to do that. So uh, let's go ahead and just jump right in. Last week we introduced our Social Studies IPG Addendum walkthrough and talked about Indicator A. Uh, Brian, why don't you tell us a little bit about our indicator for this week, Indicator B. So Indicator B leads directly off of Indicator A because Indicator A, you're collecting data and evidence from primary sources or your students are uh, more specifically. This week is students are critically examining the data that they've collected. So, for instance, they're reviewing documents for potential bias, they're evaluating the author's point of view, they're identifying the author's purpose, and they're just really starting the process of uh, making connections um, between different concepts in, in the material so that they can make historical arguments in later weeks. And, and this is something, I mean, there's, there's always a big temptation when looking at these primary and secondary sources, um, you know, where we teach them either in more in isolation or... You know, we want them to mine the content out, but there's not a whole lot of actual analysis that happens beyond that kind of depth of knowledge level one, you know, recall kind of level. So, um, you know, so many times you'll see students who are reading from primary sources and maybe taking notes, but they're not really digging in or, or doing anything, um, you know, or doing heavy lifting really with that source. So, um, you know, are they taking notes directly from the text? Are they, you know, you could, you could bump that up. Are people, are they annotating? Are they asking questions to the text? And, uh, and then finally, maybe are they, you know, examining uh, multiple perspectives, looking at uh, the text through a more analytical lens? Again, Brian mentioned, uh, especially for historians, it's very important to think about things like historical bias and accuracy of the source. And especially in a time of fake news, this is an excellent opportunity to talk about how do we know what uh, is being said is valid, or is there parts of, of things that can be valid in a source, but maybe some other things that are um, hyperbole or um, not verified. Right. I mean, this is it's that ongoing conversation. You know, there's that uh, the sort of off uh, quoted. You know, history is written by the victors type uh, mentality, but really history is an accumulation over time. You know, we, we gain an understanding of history through uh, different lenses and different perspectives. And even though we may have a few dominant accounts, especially very early on, um, you know, history is, uh, is, is flexible in that way. And we learn a lot every year uh, through study and analysis. So looking at, uh, at, at classrooms where we're looking at indicator B, we really want to see kids not just reading sources but actually kind of digging into them so uh, that would be a great place to uh, look for your PLC meetings this week uh, as you're talking about how students are using those texts in classrooms so from there let's go ahead and jump into what seemed to be a popular segment last week our uh, our curriculum pacing and content check-in it's uh, great for both uh, in-classroom educators and leaders to get an idea of where we should be in the content and what we are doing with that content. So so what's going on in Ancient Greece this week in sixth grade? Well, actually, we have finished Ancient Greece at this point. Oh, wow. So we are in Rome now. We are in Rome, exactly. Um, and when in Rome, 
Uh, I think that uh, there may still be some overlap. I know that in certain classrooms, especially with the uh, the ice and the snow, the great blizzard of 2018, the great blizzard, uh, we're looking probably at some people who will be finishing up ancient Greece at this time, maybe uh, administering that CFA uh, that is posted on the SharePoint. Uh, but right now, if everybody is, is completely on pace, we are entering the world of ancient Rome with 6.60, 6.1, and 6.2. And these standards are really a lot about sort of locating and identifying uh, Rome's geography and some of its basic kind of mythic history. So historical map, identify ancient Rome and trace the extent of the Roman Empire to 500 AD. Explain how the geographical location of ancient Rome contributed to the shaping of Roman society and the expansion of political power in the Mediterranean. And then explain the rise of the Roman Republic and the role of the mythical historical figures in Roman history, Romulus and Ramus, Hannibal, Carthaginian Wars, uh, Cicero or Cicero, depending on your Latin, Julius Caesar, Augustus Hadrian, Aeneas and Cincinnatus. So a quick question. Yeah. That's a lot of geography in those first two especially. Uh, is there a good resource available where teachers can find some, some maps and atlases and things for, for ancient Rome? I think that we have been very happy uh, so far this semester with sort of the reemergence of the Nystrom atlases. Uh, not necessarily seeing the, uh, the question content from them, but using those maps as valuable sources for students, whether you're using them with essential questions. Um, I would put a, a, in a little plug to say I know that many teachers have sets of Nystrom atlases in their classrooms. If you do not have a set, we do have access to the atlas online. It's a very, very robust online resource. If you uh, send us an email and uh, or send me an email, sloank at scsk12.org, we'll get you right into the Nystrom Atlas. And I, I do want to put in one little comment before we move on to seventh grade. Um, the primary source uh, in the required text for this week is that Seneca describes Gladiator's piece. Um, that is a required source from the state standards, but it doesn't link directly into uh, the standards as well as we might have liked, especially in this kind of early setting the stage for Rome. Uh, and because of that stage setting, uh, this is a very interesting paint the picture, uh, a little glimpse into the cultural life of Rome. So that text is in there for that reason, not necessarily because it links so directly to the standards, but because it helps uh, give some context uh, for uh, for Rome in general. I bet there's also some uh, images that, that you could use in the image bank with gladiators as well, probably, right? right? Absolutely. Um, and, and with all of these people, uh, you know, in any time you have any uh, content we've striven throughout the year to provide an image bank in your supplementary sources. However, if you have sources that you're using on Ancient Rome for this week that you'd like to share with others, please share them with us either on Edivate or via email. We'd really love to hear from you. Um, so that said, let's go ahead and move on to seventh grade. Um, where we are now really entering the Enlightenment and uh, really kind of talking about it. Last week we set the stage for Enlightenment and Scientific Revolution, and this week we're really looking at the international dimension of the Enlightenment. Okay, so which, which standards does that cover? Are we still in Montesquieu and, and Locke, or are we kind of moving on a little bit? Well, we're using Montesquieu as a text this week. Spirit of the Laws. Yeah, to, okay. to, to give a sense of how the world is changing. Locke and Montesquieu, we couldn't have done in one week. Sure. Um, it's a very dense set of texts. 
And uh, just like with Locke, we've provided a Spirit of the Laws, kind of a breakdown summary for educators and students, depending on how you want to approach that text. It's a rather high lexile for seventh grade, but and this is one of those great cases where you could really tamper with text. Change some of those words. As long as you're not significantly changing the meaning, make it accessible uh, to those students. We naturally want them to have access to the original text, whether you do that in a read aloud or close read protocol, but uh, we really want to see uh, where possible students actually digging their digging their teeth in there. And this might be a good opportunity to uh, let them sort of compare Montesquieu's ideas to our current government and the and the three branches as well, right? Make some modern day connections. Absolutely. And well and the, the so the, the whole point of this week coming up uh, is is sort of embodied in the assessment piece. What evidence suggested the Enlightenment and scientific revolution were multicultural phenomena um, talking about the role of trade, exploration, and religion. So um, looking at these standards, this is actually standard 7.58, which is the voyages of discovery um, and the development of the modern worldview. And uh, it's, the voyages of discovery are kind of stuck in at the end of the Enlightenment and the Reformation is sort of a little footnote. Which is kind of a weird decision by the state Well, it's, in some ways. You know, because it comes back again later on in the right. age of exploration. So, Exploration uh, part two, electric boogaloo, right. if you will. <laughs> so we're looking at, at uh, that 758 here with 759 talking about the roots of the uh, scientific revolution and uh, Christian and Muslim influences. So between the Montesquieu reading, the... Uh, the explorers and the uh, scientific revolution background, we should start to see that sort of multicultural phenomenon emerge, and that's really what we're hoping to do there. Again, uh, the Montesquieu is uh, it's in the uh, it's in seven point six two. Uh, but want to make sure that we get into it because this is going to uh, require a little bit more time probably and again provide valuable context for the students as we uh, as we move into uh, scientific revolution proper and then last on the whistle stop tour of middle school is going to be eighth grade where we should be starting the Civil War unit this week we've uh, we're finishing up slavery in America and uh, how's the test coming on that? Absolutely, almost ready. It will be uh, out by today. So this is Friday. You will have a, uh, a copy of that assessment uh, with new questions. If you've already assessed using your own teacher-generated assessment, that is great. But there will be a district-generated assessment. Another twenty, uh, usually deeply text-dependent questions. Uh, for, uh, for use in practice for the TCAP. I've seen a lot of maps on this one, too, so I'm excited about that. Well, and, and you know, in eighth grade, it, it's it, leading up to the Civil War, one of the big stories is, of course, what happens from the Northwest Ordinance of uh, 1787 all the way up through the Dred Scott decision and seeing the impact, the social and political impact of all of those, you know, Kansas, Nebraska, Missouri Compromise, uh, all of those things really coming to a head here at the Civil War, and so you can't you can't get to this point without really understanding how the map of the U.S. changed uh, over the course of that time. And uh, so now, really, we're looking at uh, the so yet again, you have maps here, right? Identify boundaries, look at the differences uh, between the North and South. There are actually a couple of great maps in the Nystrom atlases. So if you're if you're joining us for the eighth grade portion and weren't listening during the sixth grade. 
Um, tell us a little bit about the Nystrom Atlas resource. All right. So once again, I'll give a plug. Nystrom Atlases, uh, if you have them in your classroom, this would be a great opportunity to use them with standards 8.72 and 8.73. Um, if you do not have access to them, we can get you an online login so that you can uh, assign uh, students and classrooms and, and project them and, and projector and right, all project that kind of them, stuff. Use them on your smart board. They are very robust resources and provide some really cool, um, if you're a geography nerd like I am, uh, there's some really neat stuff in there. Um, everything from agricultural production, north versus south. Uh, all the way to the sort of territorial divisions looking at uh, demographics and things like that. It's really There's some neat. cool charts and graphs too, not just maps as well. Right, absolutely. So we're we're excited about that resource. So again, reach out to us, Sloan K uh, at scsk12.org or Davis BC. So, uh, so this week in eighth grade, um, looking at that geography and looking at the election of 1860, which of course was highly contentious, um, we're looking at uh, the Lincoln first inaugural and house divided as sort of two uh, two touchstones for uh, for Lincoln during this time. I think the house divided speech is a really underrated resource for talking about the causes of, of the Civil War to begin with because you know Lincoln really addresses most of your major causes of the Civil War right there in the speech. I think that's a great resource. Right. And and it's and it's really great. I mean this this is a period where you know Lincoln is well spoken but very plain spoken frequently so uh you know even though he can get a little discursive and you know he's known for telling stories i think that uh you know especially as we lead up to gettysburg address it's very easy for students to read the texts from lincoln and see um sort of the elegance and uh what he brought to the presidency during this time i think uh so uh looking there um at how did geography shape the politics of this era? And, uh, you know, looking back, how can you tell that, uh, you know, sectional divisions would er erupt into civil war? So that kind of brings us full circle for middle school. Um, you know, again, be looking out for all of those. And uh, Brian, why don't you talk to us a little bit about where you are in world history in high school? So world history, um, if you're exactly on pace, um, snow days all considered we should be leaving korea sometime early in the week at the latest and beginning uh vietnam and also there's some pieces of uh pol pot and the khmer rouge and the Cambodian cambodian people as well so it's standard w.61 which is described the soviet united states competition in the Middle East, Africa, and Afghanistan, W.62, described the Soviet Union, United States competition in Asia, with particular attention to the Korean and Vietnam War, and described the environmental changes due to carpet bombing, napalm, and Agent Orange. This is this standard's a lot of our focus this week. Uh, w.63 explained the rise and consequences of the communist revolution in Cambodia, led by Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge, including Cambodian genocide and forced social engineering policies. And then also, um, we talk a little bit about 6.5, which is explaining the impact of defense buildups and the impact of arms control, such as ABM and SALT treaties. So what kind of texts are they going to be having for this week in world history? So um, we actually have a pretty strong set of texts. We have everything from a primary source activity about origins of the Vietnam conflict. Um, we've got an image analysis on who are the Viet Cong. Um, we've got a uh, Pol Pot DBQ. 
And then there are um, several supplemental videos and articles in the uh, supplemental text for the maps as well. And this is something that we've really been talking about when people talk about utilizing text in their classroom. Those DBQs are really stellar opportunities to to deal with these nonfiction texts and to go into some of the analysis that we talked about from Indicator B. And some of these videos would be a great chance to use those evidence logs we talked about uh, in last week's podcast. If, if you didn't get a chance to listen to that, um, it is still posted in, in the same uh, SharePoint folder, I believe, right? Absolutely. So we're, we're doing this out live via OneNote. So uh, just check back in on that link and we should have new postings uh, post up regularly. And so under the assessments for, for this week, there's two prompts. One talks about outlining the causes of the Vietnam War and the other one talks about genocide. So again, those would feed in really well to, to your evidence log um, as a potential strategy. We've also got um, jigsaws, gallery walks, and like I said, We've got DBQs planned. And we should really emphasize here, and we'll, we'll move on to U.S. history, but um, really emphasize that every week and every uh, portion of the curriculum, we recommend between five and six different uh, you know, whole group or small group protocols uh, that, that you can see just in any given uh, span of time that if you were doing even just one per day, you could really see uh, a, a lot of return on those protocols. Ninth graders like to talk. That's true. Absolutely. I like to I mean, collaborate. Yes, yes. So, uh, moving on to U.S. history, uh, this is the second week of Unit 3, roughly, and it's a very, very text-rich week. So, I'm glad we talked about Indicator B today on the, um, on the IPG addendum, talking about critically examining data, because this is uh, a continuation of 50s and 60s domestic policy. And I've actually been finishing up the assessment, which will be posted today um, for this Unit 3. Um, and it deals with labor unions. It deals with Kennedy's New Frontier. Uh, it deals with Brown versus Board and Cal- uh, Regents University of California versus Bakke. And then it also um, talks about the purposes and goals of the Chicano movement, the American Indian movement, and the feminist movement. So we've got a lot of of different domestic issues crammed into one week of, of study. So with that, we've got um, Betty Ferdinand's the, the Feminine Mystique. We've got Cesar Chavez, uh, one of his speeches. We've got a link to the Chicano Civil Rights Movement charter. We've got the, the American Indian Movement 20-point proposal. We've got the Trail of Broken Treaties flyer. We've got Kennedy's address at Rice University where he talks a lot about his new frontier programs. We've got Brown versus Board um, case notes. We've got California versus Bucky excerpts, and then we've got a, a series of supplemental uh, texts. One that I would really put a strong plug in for is there's a couple of Taft Hartley uh, political cartoons that are good optional pieces too, especially if your students you think need more practice on political cartoons, which we will see a good deal of on on the. Uh, very live and operational uh, U.S. history test. Right, the test counts. The test counts sixth grade all the way up. Through fifth year. grade all the way. Oh up. yeah, fifth grade. Yes, that's right. Our elementary cannot be cannot be overlooked. Fifth grade all the way up this year. Um, we, you know, Brian, I think you make a very good point that when we're talking about these texts and looking at assessments, as we're building out the assessments, one of the things that takes so long is figuring out how to best assess particular texts. Um, and make sure that if you see a text uh, in the standards, that it's going to be there in one of our CFAs. You know, I know that in middle school, some of those 
uh, trickier ones like uh, Aesop's Fables and the Metamorphoses of Ovid uh, are, are tougher to put in, and I know that you've really crammed a lot of these uh, more sort of growth of culture in the 50s and 60s oriented texts into this coming assessment that you're publishing. Yes, yeah, so the, the assessment that I'm, a pub, I'm publishing covers last week's stuff and then this coming week's stuff. So we have everything from Elvis Presley to, um, to feminists and everything in between. Awesome. So uh, that wraps up our, uh, our sort of walk through, our check-in for the curriculum. So now uh, let's turn for a moment to our two protocols. So we've picked a couple that we really think are related to whether or not students are critically examining the sources that they're reading. And one of them is going to be pretty familiar for uh, people who were at the first DLD. Oh boy, are we doing a found poem? No, no found poem this week. No found poem. Oh, okay, we're doing save the last word for me, I bet then. That's right. We're doing save the last word for me. So this is this is actually a really cool uh, way to handle a text. Uh, Brian, you kind of want to walk folks through what the procedure for this looks like? Sure. So this is found in your appendix strategies, uh, appendix of strategies. It's uh, appendix B, I believe, yeah, right? Yeah, the facing history strategies. And um, so the first thing you're going to do, you as the instructor, you're going to identify a reading sample, or it can even be a video excerpt. But uh, we're more talking today about reading examples since in keeping with project B or um, indicator B. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the students are going to re- read it, and they're going to highlight three sentences that really stood out to them as the real meat and potatoes of what of what was being said. It's also a lot of times a good idea to give the students like a guiding or a compelling question that they're that they you know we're looking for evidence for as they're picking their three sentences. All right. So you have highlights on your paper. And I have highlights on mine. What do we do with those highlights? So you're going to be in small groups of three. And uh, you're going to label the students A, B, and C. So the A's are all going to read their chosen quotation. So Keenan, say you're A. You read your quotation, okay? Right. Then I, as student B, am going to discuss it. I'm going to say what I think it means and why I think you chose that particular quote. And so it's a you and, and, uh, and group member C are having this discussion about why I picked the quote that I picked. Right. So then why is it called Save the Last Word for Me? Ah, because you get the last word because you get to explain to us whether or not we were right or if we were completely off base about your quote. So, so it gives us a chance to kind of dig in to a particular text and really apply some analysis, really make students think this can be done with a small piece of text, this can be done with much longer text. So, you know, it, this could be anything from, you know, a, a mild excerpt from an epic poem all the way up to, you know, the Federalist Papers. It, it really depends. And a lot of times this is really good for your really flavorful um, primary sources like, for instance, in U.S. History this week. Reading the feminine mystique, I, I think you could get some really, really good um, quotes and have enough variety where uh, a lot of students are going to pick different quotes. Right. And, and in the current, you know, if you want to do this in a, a short kind of quick way, you give them a small passage. Uh, everyone uh, pulls one quote. But if you gave a more complicated piece, if you were doing feminine mystique, then you might actually... Uh, have two or three quotes, and everybody just goes around the circle until you're uh, until they exhaust their quotes in their group. And so by the by the end of that, they have a better understanding. They've done a, a good bit of analysis with that document. Perfect example of the activity needed in indicator B. Um, 
So definitely check it out. That is, um, you know, it, again, it's in the Facing History Appendix. If you're if you're looking for protocols, if you're looking for strategies, we've really tried to provide support around these uh, these classroom strategies. They are excellent. Uh, most of them fairly low prep. You know. So so tell me, are we? Please tell me we're doing a Harvard Visible Thinking strategy this week too. Yes, I love those because they're high yield and low prep. Low, yeah, low, low prep is a is a great uh, you know, sort of touch word for uh, for teachers everywhere, right? That um, you know, how many times have I not done? A particular strategy or protocol because oh I have to have X number of manipulatives and Y number of envelopes or I have to have a particular graphic organizer and I have to do all this printing so or my or my colleague down the hall broke the copy machine and now I don't have my handout yeah I don't have my handout I don't have my my class set and uh, and so when you're looking at these visible thinking routines it's it, it they're really really quick and easy to do so the one that we actually uh, chose for today is one of our favorites because it's so uh, easy and so good in some ways is headlines and it's just about as simple as it sounds headlines and we also we, we extend this to call it uh, hashtags as well so and this is something we've fake asked, tweets probably too. Yeah, you could. Yeah, you could exactly. You could probably uh, you could probably use and incorporate that social media piece because let's face it, some of our, our students might you know kind of give some side eye to whatever uh, you know they think a newspaper is. So the idea of a headline, it's kind of there, but especially with our younger students who may not be uh, consuming as much news media, it might be a little alien. Whereas almost all of them will know you know hashtags and and tweets. But, uh, so headlines is pretty simple. It's a summarizing activity where uh, you can use it as, at the end of a class to sum up student knowledge. You can use it you know, as a transition. But basically what you're asking students to do is come up with a headline that represents the learning that they've done in some way. So they might have a, uh, you know, you might model it as part of your objective for the day. You know that if you're that if you're talking about uh, you know the Civil War, you might have a uh, a headline about uh, you know Lincoln, or you might have a headline about you know inevitability of the Civil War. Um, if you are using it for a particular reading, though, uh, you might have a, a group of different headlines, and it's a really great way to check for understanding and get students to. Uh, consolidate a lot of learning into a very small space. I bet it could make a handy dandy exit ticket too. Probably so. And and let's emphasize that, you know, uh, when you're in PLC meetings, PLC meetings are all about student work. You know, you're you're reviewing student work, you're seeing who's really getting it and what do we do with those students who are getting it, what do we do with the students who are not getting it. Ah, so I bet you're saying this might could be a good collaborative planning uh uh, piece as as you're looking at student work too. Absolutely, absolutely. I think that that any any uh, building leader should should hope to see. You know, you might not see a, the traditional writing task in social studies every day, but you will see uh, some kind of student output that is measurable that definitely demonstrates the student understanding. I think and headlines uh, is very quick, very easy. You know, totally, you could do it on the fly. You know. Um, so that said, there are no real big announcements coming up. For this week, but uh, we look forward to seeing uh, the curriculum in place uh, in schools when we're out and about next week, uh, kind of checking in. If you at any point would like us to come visit you, if you need anything from us here in curriculum, please uh, send us an email because uh, we are very responsive to that and we're happy uh, to reach back out and do what we can to assist you, whether you are a teacher, a building leader, 
an ILD, you know, whatever your role is, we're, we're happy to support you in any way that we can. Dr. Griffin, Superintendent Hobson, y'all are welcome to reach out as well. Absolutely. We'd love to hear from you anytime. <laughs> so uh, in the meantime, uh, again, I am Keenan Sloan. That's Sloan, K-S-L-O-A-N-K at SCSK12.org. And I'm Davis BC at SCSK12.org. Excellent. So and uh, until next time, folks, do good work, and we will look forward to seeing you later. Stay classy, Memphis. Memphis.